And now we're live with everybody. We have Baby Void. We have our Baby Voids here, Nico and Vincent, and uh, we have our friends uh, Facebook Live and the Vibe Radio Network. Thanks for joining us again tonight. So I think I'm going to go put them back in the room. Yep, yep. So Beth will go take care of that. Here we go. And I will go ahead up, get set up here. We uh, we were running right down to the wire today, taking uh, taking our sweet time getting ready to go. So we're a little flat-footed, still kind of scrambling to get things going. But with that said, we uh, do have what we think is going to be a good show for you tonight. Uh, so here we are. Uh, it is now July 5th. So it is a couple days past the end of the anniversary for the Battle of Gettysburg. Come here. So uh, that, of course, took place uh, up in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, in uh, July 1st, June 3rd of 1863. So just had the uh, 158th anniversary of the battle, which for something that in one hand feels so long ago, 158 years not that doesn't, really sound, doesn't really sound all that far behind us in the grand scheme of things, exactly. So, yeah, so they just had their huge reenactment, and there was a large paranormal group up there this past weekend as well. Uh, I'm hoping to see if they've gotten anything from that uh, that excursion. Yeah, and uh, uh, my mother would like to know where Una and Lulu are. Uh, Lulu is out in the hallway looking absolutely betrayed. It's going to take a little introduction time. Una, I think, is in her drawer. We haven't seen her since dinner time. She might come out. If she doesn't come out soon, we might go fishing for her. Yes. But. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of cleaning today, and uh, the cats aren't happy with it. Yeah. But, yeah, so we, we but with that said, we, we kind of had a little bit of a low-key day for ourselves. We did. And the cleaning was in the kitchen room and needed it. After, <laughs> after a pretty busy weekend, we yeah. stayed on our toes. We had uh, sure. Three tours <laughs> in 24 hours. It was before, but with it being uh, the 4th of July weekend, we uh, offered our Richmond's Revolutionary Spirit Tour on Saturday evening and Sunday morning. So, mm-hmm. cheers. cheers to that. That was fun. And uh, then I had a couple of pretty much sold-out tours on Saturday night, yep. which you took I on. I got uh, So, yeah, it was a decent weekend. You know, uh, tours, are, tours are kicking up, <laughs> having a good time with that. We caught some fireworks last night. Yep. And uh neighbors over for lunch yesterday, which was nice. Yeah. Nice to actually have people over again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh yeah, if you uh if you missed the uh, last week on Tuesday we made uh the big announcement that we've been hinting at oh for a couple months at, now. Yeah. Kind we, of we finally were able to get prices and places nailed mm-hmm. down and secured. So yeah. if you didn't hear, uh in December twenty twenty two, December second through the fifth, we are planning a trip to Key West, and we're calling it Haunted Key West. Haunted Key West. Yeah. Haunted um, Key West.com. Go to sign up. Go to sign up. But, yeah, so we're actually staying at a um, wonderful place. That actually, one of the buildings there is haunted. I don't know if the rooms were reserved are in that uh, building or not, but we'll see. It's on property. Uh, we're actually going to be at the Ghost Fort with David Sloan uh, for a 90-minute Tour and also an hour-long um, investigation, and he is providing equipment. Uh, we're going to have dinner at First Flight Brewery, which is the original Pan Am building in Key West, and it is also haunted. And we have a second location for an investigation that we'll be announcing later. We're just finalizing the details of that. But 
it is coming together. We yeah. got our first reservations in, and uh, so yeah, people work. We're, we're glad that we got some people excited and ready to go, and uh, we hope that some of you might be able to join us as well. So yeah. I'll drop the link to that in the chat here in just a minute or on, on the Facebook chat. But if you're listening on Vibe Radio Network again, uh, go ahead. You can check out hauntsofkeywest.com. So, but with that little bit of a admittedly self-promotion. Because, again, we've been hinting at it for a while. We're excited. We are. It's, it's really fun. And yeah. we made a, lot, uh, a couple of cool um, contacts down there, and so we're hoping to get some more things solidified soon. Yep. It'll be a good time. Yep. All around. So, with that, uh, y'all tuned in to actually listen to us chat about Gettysburg tonight. So uh, if you uh, just tuned in in the last couple of minutes, I mentioned that we just uh, wrapped up the uh, 158th anniversary of the battle. It took place July 1st through 3rd of 1863. And uh, it would not be too far-fetched to say that Gettysburg is, of course, one of, one of the most haunted, if not the most haunted locations uh, as far as a, a single town goes in the United States. And battlefield. Yeah, yeah, with the battlefield and the town, it's an uh, incredibly haunted location. Yeah. We've, uh, we've chatted about some of the haunted locations before. We've mentioned Gettysburg College. Yes, with their uh, makeshift um, hospital in the basement. Yep. Um, we've talked about a couple of the inns there before. Um, so we've, we've kind of gone around, and I found some new stories that I wanted to to dive into. Yep, so we're not going to be repeating anything tonight. we got a whole set of news stories about haunted Gettysburg for you. It was often the news when I was like, hey, did we do? I don't remember. I had to go back and look. <laughs> <laughs> so when you've been doing this for over a year, it's kind of cool that you have to go, hey, did I do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been, gosh, I don't even know how many episodes this yeah. Now, I'd have to count them up, but it's been fun. I'm glad we're still doing it and glad that you all can continue to join us like this. All right, so let's jump in uh, through the Battle of Gettysburg and the haunts that are there. So, of course, as Chris mentioned, this happened very early in July of 1863 on one side of the bloody conflict where the Union forces led by Major General George Meade, uh, the newly minted commander of the Army of the Potomac. On the other side, marking their further significant foray into northern territory were the Confederate forces led by General Robert E. Lee, uh, the very formidable and experienced commander of the Army of Northern Virginia. Now, as the victory of Chancellorsville in Virginia on May 8th of 1863, Lee drove his troops into the Shenandoah Valley to launch a second incursion into the north. His army's morale was at an all-time high, and Lee intended to change the focus of the campaign from war-stricken Virginia to the farmlands of the north where his troops could live off the bountiful harvest of the Pennsylvania farmers. It said that the Confederates paid for food and supplies that they commandeered, but the use of Confederate money wasn't used um, much appreciated by the Northern families. Uh, supplies issues aside, there was a large uh, goal of swaying Northern politicians to give up the pursuit of the war, and Lee wanted to make the policymakers feel his breath on their necks and to start doubting their Northern resolve. Meanwhile, President Lincoln knew that, in a way, this was his last stand. The Confederates were on the doorstep of the nation's capital, and the Northern enthusiasm for the conflict was weakening. Lincoln rallied his troops and commanders as best he could in an effort to restore their pride and bring an end to the threatening posture of the Army of the Northern Virginia. With their marching orders in hand, the Army of the Potomac marched forth, and it is hard to say if anyone expected the dueling armies to clash with such a spectacular fashion. 
When the two armies crashed into each other at Gettysburg, both armies had the same objective, end the war, and in the effort to do so, men on both sides succumbed to their worst instincts. Bullets gave way to bayonets, which gave way to rifle butts, which eventually gave way to literal tooth and nail combat. The wave after wave of Confederate forces crashed into the Union lines over the course of three days, punctuated by the fierce skirmishes all around the battlefield. Despite a few notable disasters, the Union Army ultimately stood strong against the Confederate advances, culminating in the infamous Pickett's Charge, where the Confederates were ultimately repelled uh, <clears throat> by the cannon and rifle fire. The battle was renounced and infamous for a multitude of reasons. There was an absolute bloodbath and a staggering amount of casualties that occurred. Over 170,000 men clashed at Gettysburg, and approximately 50,000 of them were wounded, captured, or killed. But the attacking Confederate Army staggering away, having suffered a disappropriation, a disappropriate amount of those casualties. The Confederate loss marked a turning point for the Union Army that was in desperate need for a win, and the Confederates never again threatened Northern Territory on such a large scale. While the war would have raged on for almost two more years, Gettysburg was one of the first nails in the coffin of the Confederacy. Meade was heavily criticized for not pursuing Lee in an effort to crush the rebellion on the spot, but the Confederacy was, crippled, was a crippled military and politically uh, as well as in the aftermath of the battle. The invincibility of Lee and his troops was broken, and there would be no official political recognition of the Confederacy by the Europeans who were watching the conflict with immense interest. In the months and years that followed, the pain and misery that weighed on the Gettysburg battlefield never eased. Many say that the suffering and the carnage unleashed on the grounds of Gettysburg had caused it to become one of the most haunted by the spirits of the young men who died and fought there. Many people have witnessed apparitions from soldiers from long ago, the sounds of battles echoes across the open fields in the dead of night. Heavy feelings of inexplicable cold and sadness can overwhelm the living who still visit the hallowed grounds by the thousands. The ongoing activity in Gettysburg drives paranormal investigators from all over, and many of them come to similar conclusions. Gettysburg ghosts are generally residual. Residual. I need George to drink. Try again. Residual hauntings that are out of their time as they replay the historical events which they were involved in over and over again. These spirits have no recognition of the modern world and those of us who inhabit it. These residual hauntings are not uncommonly associated with traumatic and powerful events from history. The biggest question that so many are trying to answer is, do soldiers still march to the hallowed grounds of Gettysburg? We may never know for sure, but the battlefield waits for anyone who wants to explore that question for themselves. Sure, my turn? Yes, your turn. <laughs> I need to wet my whistle. So we did have a couple uh, couple comments. Uh, Roberta's actually going to get to head back up to Gettysburg in September. Oh, sweet. So, yeah. Hope that you uh, have a wonderful time. We've enjoyed all of our yeah, we, uh, we our trips up there. We need to get back. All <laughs> of our trips. What we've been three times. Yeah, yeah. And, and driven through many a time. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep. Uh, Every time we go to New York, we drive by. Yeah, but when you're driving for with cats, with cats for ten plus hours, it's you have to you take don't stop from yeah. Alderland to get gas. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, with that, we're going to actually go ahead and uh, we are going to start with, of course, the battlefield itself. From one end of the battlefield to the other, there are numerous reports of phantom soldiers. 
They are seen marching in formation, riding horses, and still seemingly fighting the battle. These ghosts have been reported crossing the open fields where pickets charge to place. They have also been seen ascending and defending the slopes of Little Round Top. Also seen crouching and or struggling with their packs in places like the Peach Orchard and the Wheat Field. It's more than just spectral figures, though. Anguished shouts and the reverberating booms of firearms have been clearly heard across the empty rolling countryside. Possibly the most unnerving experience one can have at Gettysburg is actually hearing the echoes of that horrific battle and its ghostly cries of pain and death. People have reportedly reported hearing battle cries followed by the agonized cries of men screaming and moaning. It is said that it can sound like people are dying all around you. If you want to get an idea of some of the recent experiences that people have witnessed at Gettysburg, there is a video online from September of this last year, September 2020, that actually appears to show a pair of soldiers walking out around two cannons. This was captured by a man named Greg Euling, who was driving through the battlefield at night with his family. And if you want to look it up, really easy to look up. Just uh uh, go just walking around cannons. Yeah, go, Gettysburg, yeah, you got get, it. Uh, 2020, and it'll pop right up. But it's not just on the battlefield itself. It's the surrounding area as well. Straggling soldiers limping down the roads and byways or peering through the windows of once makeshift hospitals, now homes, where they died. Amongst the regular visitors to the battlefield are scout troops that come for camping trips. Upon returning from one of these trips, the scout reported a chilling tale to his mother. He told her that he woke up in the middle of the night and needed to step outside to go use the campground bathroom. On his way over, he spotted a man just standing out in an open field. The boy initially thought that it was one of his chaperones, but when he looked closer, he found that the man was in a full Confederate uniform and carrying a sword. Stunned and confused, the boy could only stare as the, abrupt, as the uh, specter abruptly vanished in front of him. At this point, absolutely terrified, the boy decided he could hold it until the morning. I don't blame him. I don't blame him either. That's he didn't just uh, release himself straight out of the spot. And thank you, Patrick, for posting the video. Oh, yes. Yep. And speaking of, I didn't post the link because I have sidetracked. The sidetrack. Oh, yeah. We'll get to it at the end. We'll get back to it. But one of the most haunted spots on the battlefield is uh, known as Devil's Den, which is the name given to a rocky ridge covered in large boulders south, uh, in the south of Gettysburg. Now, on July 2nd, the den would earn its reputation as belonging to the devil himself. On that second day of the Battle of Gettysburg, the small area surrounding the rocky formation bore witness to intense fighting as a part of General Robert E. Lee's flank attacks. The den was one of the few battles where the Confederacy actually got the upper hand at Gettysburg, but it came at a steep cost, as about uh, 1,800 of their own soldiers met their end here, as well as 800 Union troops. The den sits between a western running ridge and a marshy valley. Major Dan Sickles decided last minute that the marshy fields were where they would stand their ground, which later became known as the slaughter pen due to the lives lost amongst the tall grasses. And we'll come back and touch on that a little more in just a bit. Today, the den holds true to its name, as spirits seem to be changed to the massive boulders that dominate the site. Those same boulders still bear the marks of the conflict that ravaged the site in some places. Visitors to the den report seeing soldiers in Civil War uniforms appearing and disappearing as soon as they are spotted. Others have heard the resounding noise of cannon fire, running, screaming, gasps, and garbled words, 
described as if the unseen souls were choking on blood. One young man in particular that was killed amongst the boulders is a common sighting of the spectral sort. He is described as being barefoot and dressed in a butternut-colored shirt and floppy hat. This fits the description of a member of the 1st Texas Infantry Regiment, aptly named the Ragged Old First, who participated in the battle. They call the young man the helpful hippie for his long hair and the fact that he had reportedly helped over 60 people with their picture-taking over the years. He will tell them, what you're looking for is over there, and he then points towards the plum run. However, when visitors look back to where the young man was standing, he had already disappeared. We do need to know, however, that uh, surround the, the uh, excuse me, however, that surrounding the Devil's Den long, uh, the tale surrounding the Devil's Den long before the Civil War battle was ever fought. Uh, the name has been attributed to it since long before the Civil War battle. And Donnie's trying to steal our thunder because that's where we're going. Yes. <laughs> so according to early accounts from the area, the tangled outcropping of rocks was a Native American hunting ground for centuries. And some say that a huge battle was once fought here called the Battle of the Crows, during which many perished. A Gettysburg writer named Emanuel Bushman wrote in an 1880 article of the many unnatural and supernatural sights and sounds that were reported in the area of the Roundhouse and what he called the Indian Field. He wrote that the early settlers had told stories of ghosts that had been seen there and that an Indian war whoops could still be heard on certain nights. In addition, he reported that unfamiliar Indian ceremonies also took place here. In 1884, Bushman also wrote that he believed the scattering of boulders to have once been part of a tall pyramid that an ancient tribe who had once lived near the site of Devil's Den had built. He stated that the crevices in the rocks bore evidence of this and that the pyramid had undoubtedly been destroyed by some forceful blast. While this is extremely doubtful, it does give some idea of the lore that surrounded the area even before the battle. Also, according to local legends, the name Devil's Den was actually in use before the battle took place. Most everyone in their uh, in their letters home, oh, in their letters home, yes, <laughs> and in some of the explorations of the battlefield after the fighting, referred to the rocks as a desolate and ghostly place, or mentioned the ominous character of the rocks. Many others felt that the rocky outcroppings actually marked the entrance to a cavern, and while no cave exists here, those who visit the location can understand the mistake. The rocks are piled so high that the crevices between them seem to plunge down into total darkness. But whoever first coined the term Devil's Den remains a mystery. Many believe that the strange atmosphere of the area itself may have contributed to the designation. Another legend persists that the Devil's Den was always known for being infested with snakes. There is definitely some basis to that, as we have seen snakes there ourselves in our trips to Gettysburg. The legends say that one gigantic snake in particular eluded the local hunters for many years, and they were never able to capture or kill him. He was allegedly nicknamed the Devil, and thus the area of rocks was called his den. No matter how the area got its name, it was already considered a strange and haunted spot before the battle, at least according to the previously noted Mr. Emanuel Bushman. And no matter what its reputation before the battle, the events that transpired at Devil's Den on July 2nd of 1863 cemented its fearsome reputation for every day thereafter. It is a really cool place to go and explore, but again, watch out for the snakes. I almost stepped on one or two of them. Most of them 
the one that we the ones that we saw were non-venomous. So. Still don't want to go. No, you don't. It's rude. <laughs> it, yeah, it is rude. It's, it's rude. You don't want you don't want to don't want to hurt a snake. They're very good for things. Just don't want them bite me or slow their under my leg. I'll try to keep an eye out. Roberta's going with her greyhound. Be interested to know if your uh, greyhound has uh, any reactions. any reactions mm-hmm. to being out there, because dogs tend tend to have some sort of sensitivity to that. Uh, another group, whoops, uh, uh-oh, Glenn mentions another group, I follow also one in even peer recorder, got my rod, my camera recorder, now I just need to get a K-meter, yes, <laughs> yep, that will uh, get your, uh, your your basic ghost, uh, ghost hunting ghost tactic, together. yep, all right, so let's jump back to the slaughter pen, which Chris mentioned we were going to come back to. So this is also at the foot of Little Round Top, and it's adjacent to Devil's Den, where the athlete and grimly named slaughter pen. Not to be confused with the slaughter pen farm in Fredericksburg. This patch of land is one of the bloodiest portions of Gettysburg battlefield. Upon the conclusion of the battle, the ground at slaughter pen was said to be fully covered with bodies, with the bodies of the dead. So much so that no one could see the grass underneath them. While this might be a slight exaggeration, it does paint a rather bleak and terrible picture of what transpired here. The slaughter pen was filled with Civil War soldiers who were ambushed, ill-positioned, trying to fight back. Most of the Confederate troops that were stationed there perished where they hid. Today, the slaughter pen plays host to many uh, recorded apparition sightings and disembodied voices. On one account, though, it's the most peculiar and tells a harrowing story from a group of Civil War reenactors who were in the area when they were filming the movie Gettysburg. As they were, they approached, were approached by a Union soldier who reeked of sulfur and was haggard and dirty. The workers assumed he was just an extra for the film, but they quickly changed their minds when the soldier handed them ammunition for their guns, which they believed to be blank ground. It was later determined that the man was not an extra and he was not involved in the film whatsoever and that he had actually handed the crew several pristine-conditioned Civil War-era musket rounds. Thankfully, nobody used the live rounds as the grounds of the slaughter pen had seen enough bloodshed. Could the ragged soldier be uh, one of the spirits that lurked there? How would he have been able to interact with the living in such a substantial manner? We suspect that this will linger on yet another enduring paranormal mystery at Gettysburg. Now, the other side of Devil's Den and away from the slaughter pen is the area simply known as the Triangular Field. She was in the drawer. Shocking. While they are very much part of the same battlefield, it did not see as much bloody action as some of its nearby neighbors. Not much is to be found about this particular area of land, but hundreds of paranormal accounts have been reported coming from the field. Apparitions of Confederate sharpshooters have been sighted by the rocks down near the bottom of the field itself. Disembodied rebel yells have been echoing out across the plains, and visitors have reported seeing impressions of bodies on the grass, crawling about as if there is something to evade detection. Cannons and screens are also reported throughout the entire Gettysburg battlefield, but especially here at Triangular Field. The sounds of moaning and dying soldiers are heard even today. Union soldiers have been spotted at the field's left gate entrance, and many visitors report being approached by men dressed in Civil War attire. Many visitors just assume 
So they are reenactors, but later find out that no reenactments were occurring that day. One of the strangest reports is that no matter how up-to-date or technologically advanced one's camera equipment is, they will often refuse to function while well in triangular field. Photos there are taken found nothing more than black blank screens and white tones. Distant sounds of wartime drones have also been heard soaring across the fields at Gettysburg, and most visitors who dare to step foot on the battlefield itself, even the surrounding buildings, leave the area with paranormal stories, whether it's the sighting of a full-body apparition or just a whisper from an unseen uh, soldier in their ear. I will say, when Chris and I were last there, our batteries did get drained in that area for our camera. Uh, so take that as a grain of salt as one possible experience. Mm-hmm. You know the drawing fans are going wild. <laughs> now, Yuna's actually been known to notice this kid. Yeah. Um, she's still not impressed. She'll get over it. <laughs> she hasn't been too busy or anything. No, she okay. hasn't. Just a little bit. It's like, what are these things? Off she goes. That's okay. It's boring. <laughs> uh, now we're going to be going uh, up the battlefield just northwest of downtown Gettysburg, where you can find the Double Day Inn. Now, according to Mark Nesbitt of Ghosts of Gettysburg Candlelit Walking Tours, the area is rife with paranormal activity, and given this particular site's bloody history, it's no surprise. Immediately adjacent to the Double Day Inn is an area known as Iverson's Pit, where a brigade of North Carolinians was slaughtered as a direct result of reckless bravado and a lack of leadership. Confederate Brigadier General Alfred Iverson offered his troop, ordered his troops forward to outflank the Union First Corps on Oak Hill with the ominous phrase, Give them hell. But Iverson had made no effort to survey the ground ahead, and he stayed far to the rear. With their confidence and morale soaring, the North Carolinians paid no mind to the lone stone wall to the left of their position. At least they paid no mind until that wall erupted with flame. The entirety of Union Brigadier General Henry Baxter's brigade had risen from behind the wall and unleashed hell on the surprised Confederates. Approximately 500 of Iverson's men fell in a straight line in the initial round of fire. An additional volleys of fire quickly followed. With Iverson nowhere close by, the surviving bits of the unit fell into disarray, and many of them were quickly captured. It's estimated that Iverson lost nearly 70% of his command in a matter of minutes. For those who fell never to rise again, a pit was dug to bury them where they fell. It was named Iverson's Pit as a grim reminder of Iverson's catastrophic blunder. Over the years, witnesses have reported seeing spectral figures stalking the area of the pit, while unexplained lights have also been visible. In fact, according to Battlefield Preservation Foundation, the Civil War Trust, reports of otherworldly encounters near the site of the slaughter date back to the 19th century. One of the long-time haunting stories sent haunted story centers around reports that, that at night and from a distance across the field, passers-by would see what they described as hundreds of white handkerchiefs fluttering just above the ground, with the field enveloped in a mist. For years after the battle, the man that farmed the field in the area of the pit, John Forney, reported that many of his tired hands absolutely refused to be out in the field when dusk fell because they were convinced it was haunted. Other reports were described as hundreds of vague, soft, white spots of light seen at a distance 
that then just disappeared as witnesses approached the field to investigate. Prior to the 1970s, when the interest in battlefield hauntings truly gained traction, Iverson's Pits was the only location on the battlefield that was regularly talked about as being haunted, dating all the way back to the immediate aftermath of the battle. One account came from a couple who were staying at the Double Day Inn while visiting family. They had left for the day, and upon returning to the room later that evening, they found that all of their belongings had been neatly packed in their suitcases. This is not a service that the hotel offers. So it was not anybody coming into their room and tidying up for them like, like in such a way. Perhaps this was the action of a spectral soldier who simply wanted to do something nice for the respectful visitors, or maybe it was a not-so-subtle way of saying, time to leave. Another tale comes from an employee who was working late one evening. When she turned the corner to prepare for some, un for some remaining rooms, there stood the apparition of a soldier. Upon doing a double-take, the soldier had vanished. Aside from the personal encounters, pictures taken of the inn have also aided in its haunted reputation. Several have appeared to show ghostly apparitions who take the form of Confederate soldiers, while others portray orbs, streaks of light, and other bizarre phenomena. Some guests have reported strange smells and unexplained noises during their stay. One such instance of this was that of a couple who repeatedly heard loud knocking on their room's door, only to find that no one was outside. Upon opening the door, however, wasps of smoke could be detected. Perhaps that of lost soldiers who used to smoke during battle, or perhaps it is from the Union rifles that were used to cut so many lives short in just a brief moment. Well, Iverson did survive the war, and for several decades thereafter, Iverson's reputation was forever tied to his disastrous blunder at Gettysburg. It might be that immortal, infamous link that has led from the claim that Iverson himself has been seen haunting the area around the inn to this day as well. I've never heard about the double day. No, or Iverson Pitts. That, that was something new for me, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, we have thoroughly explored the battlefield. Yeah, and, you know, the Iverson's that disaster, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, on a, you know, kind of circularly, you know, numbers, um, you know, losing 70% of the unit just like that. I mean, that all pales in comparison to Pickett's Charge, yeah. the infamous Pickett's Charge, which, of course... Everybody's heard about. Yeah, we, and of course, in the sheer number of lives lost, Pickett's Charge would have greatly outstripped what happened at Armstrong Pitts, but it's said that what happened at that particular instance there may have been the single most lopsided moment in the entire war of one side getting the best of another. Yeah. So, I mean, that I actually hadn't heard of it until we did the research here. It was kind of interesting. Well, hello, hello. And Lulu's brought a toy. We'll see if she decides to sing for us. She likes to hold her toy in her mouth and talk. <laughs> <laughs> not good manners. We're in the not good manners at 3 o'clock in the morning. But we love Lulu. We do. All right, so now let's talk about the hospitals and getting started. We're actually going to dive into the private homes that uh, have been turned into hospitals, which was pretty common at the time. Nearly all of the nearby homes were used during the battle as makeshift field hospitals <clears throat> and as shelters for the wounded during the fighting. Many believe that such uh, use may be what has caused them to gain the reputations for being haunted over the years. Perhaps these traumatic events serve as catalysts for the ghostly events, which now 
seem to follow. Now, surprisingly, as uh, employees of the United States government, park rangers are sometimes reluctant to discuss their supernatural encounters on the battlefield. Those who do share their tales usually do so off the record, which nevertheless creates a fairly impressive documentation of events beyond our understanding. So let's start with the George uh, Workhurst House. It's situated near the middle of the battlefield. It would have been surrounded by raging battle and fallen soldiers over those early days of July. And this small house had a number of different occupants over the years. Many, <clears throat> many who have had stories to tell. Now, one of the previous residents of the house spoke of a door on the second floor which refused to stay closed, no matter what they did to it. One ranger even nailed the door shut with small wire nails, and yet it managed to buck itself open against the restraint. Possibly connected to this, other tenants have reported the sound of footsteps pacing back and forth in the attic. They would hear the heavy tread cross the area above their heads and then cross back as if somebody was up there worried or deep in thought. Needless to say, when they would go up to the attic to check for an intruder, they would find the area to be deserted. Another residence is the Humboldt House, situated amidst the center of the Union line, where the stories say that the cries of Confederate Brigadier General William Barksdale can still be heard on certain nights. Barksdale was wounded while leading a charge on Seminary Ridge and was brought to the Humboldt House according to an officer from the 148th Pennsylvania Volunteers. Boxell was last seen lying in front of the house, and the young boy was giving him water with a spoon. The general continued to call for water, although the boy did not exist, calling over and over again. In the years since, the legends say that the sound of Boxell's voice can still be heard. And that is not the only story connected to that house, or to Brigadier General Boxell either. The other story is connected to the days after the battle when Barksdale's wife journeyed to Gettysburg to have her husband's remains exhumed and returned to their home in Mississippi. She was accompanied on her trip by the general's favorite hunting dog. The old dog was led to his master's grave. He fell down onto the ground and began to howl. No matter what Mrs. Barksdale did, she was unable to pull the animal away. All through the night, the faithful dog watched over the grave. The next day, Mrs. Barksdale again tried to lure the dog away, but he refused to touch. Even though the general's remains had already been loaded onto the wagon and to begin the journey back to Mississippi, finally saddened by the dog's pitiful loyalty, she left her home. Those who lived nearby said the dog became a familiar fixture during the days that followed. He would occasionally let out a heartbreaking howl that could be heard for some distance. Many locals came and tried to lead the dog away, offering him food, water, and a good home. But the dog refused all of their gestures and eventually died from hunger and thirst, still stretched out over his master's burial place. Within a few years, the tale began to circulate that an animal spirit still lingered at the Humbell farm. that had been seen on the night of July 2nd, the anniversary of Barksdale's death. An unearthly howl echoes into the night, as the faithful hunting dog still grieves from a place beyond this world. The Rose Farm is another such location on the battlefield situated immediately south of the Peach Orchard. Hundreds of Confederate and Federal soldiers were buried in rows all along the house and property. Many would later be exhumed in November of 1863, although the claiming of the bodies and the reburials would continue on for years afterwards. According to a local doctor named Dr. 
uh, J.W.C. O'Neill, one of the daughters of the Rose Farm, actually went insane during the excavation. Having lived through the, both the battle and its aftermath, allegedly she was uh, has seen <clears throat> she was to have seen blood actually flowing from the walls of the house. Perhaps a grisly reminder from the days when the house served as a bloody field hospital. Was the house actually haunted, though, or were the strange visions simply the workings of the Caesar mind? And an account recorded by the Civilian Conservation Corps in the 1930s came from a man who reportedly worked at the farm just a few weeks after the battle. He was returning home one evening. Shortly after darkness had fallen, he claimed to see a strange whirling shape near the graves of the slain soldiers. So perhaps he uh, it was not only the unfortunate Rose daughter who had had a run-in with the paranormal at this historic property. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, gosh, blood running from the wall. That, that's some modern horror movie it nightmare is. stuff there. American Horror Story, here you come. Yeah, but here, there we are back in the late 1860s at that point, just a few short years after the end of the war. Yeah. But poor, poor girl. And <laughs> one of the things that people might not realize is that the uh, Pavilion Conservation Corps actually, um, part of their duties was recording folklore and other stories um, just around the entire United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fact that you can read some of these um, recordings and the, the bound books that they have of them is really interesting. I'd like to get a, access to a few more, see what other good stuff we can find. And Chris is finally putting the link in the comments. Now that I'm remembering, the link that I mentioned earlier, our Haunts of Key West trip, I'm going to drop that in there. Hope that you all can check it out. But and then I'm going to make a talk. I'll talk again. I'll probably drop the link again later because we're really excited about the trip. But anyway, <laughs> moving on. So beyond the battlefield, as we already mentioned, well beyond the, the, the hauntings are well beyond the battlefield. The entire greater Gettysburg area, if you will, is simply you know, saturated with, with spirits. And that does include the Gettysburg National Cemetery. Now, the cemetery was built for fallen Union soldiers in the aftermath of the Battle of Gettysburg. It's now a part of the United States Federal Cemetery. Uh, like the battlefield, the cemetery is controlled by the National Park Service. The cemetery includes the final resting places of 979 unknown soldiers, as well as holding 3,512 burials from the Civil War. In addition to the Civil War fallen and veterans who rest here there, it also has sections dedicated for veterans of the Spanish-American War, World War I, and other conflicts, along with the graves of the veterans' wives and children. The total number of internments to date is over 6,000. While not paranormal, we feel the need to cite the brief but remarkable speech that took place at the cemetery in November of 1863. We are, of course, referring to the famous Gettysburg Address that Lincoln delivered under notable physical duress. During the trip, Lincoln remarked to his aides that he felt weak, his aide noting that Lincoln's face had a ghastly color and that he was sad, mournful, almost haggard. After the speech, Lincoln was diagnosed smallpox. With smallpox and personally hallucinating, Lincoln managed to upstage the orator of that day with one of the best speeches in history, even at its brief 271 words. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, 
conceived in liberty and dedicated to the preposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hollow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it, consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. The speech inarguably contains only one glaring error. Lincoln drastically underestimated the impact of his words when he included the line, the world will little note nor long remember what we say here. It's safe to say that this is one of the most well-remembered speeches in American history to this day. Now, given the introduction to one of Gettysburg's most sacred sites, we will now note that the cemetery is reportedly rife with unsettled spirits. Many guests that walk through the cemetery report seeing floating balls of unexplainable light roaming freely across the manicured lawns. They have also borne witness to strange ethereal apparitions marching up and down the hill and the pristine landscape. At night, in the distance, the air frequently echoes with the sound of gunfire, the boom of cannons, and the shrieks of those engaged in battle. That is the haunted Gettysburg Cemetery, as we know today. Fascinating place to walk to. Oh, it is. I mean, of course, it it, has a a very heavy atmosphere to it, as Mm -hmm. you would expect and should expect, but it beautiful as well. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to put into words, yeah. but definitely worth a visit. If you're, if you're visiting Gettysburg, definitely we'll check it out. Everything all right out there? I hear sounds. Yeah, the, the kittens are hitting the springs against the door, which has ah. attracted attention. So we're having a standoff to the door. Yes, we are. Interesting. That's okay. what I had to go check. Okay. I figured sure the door had not popped open. Yeah. <laughs> so you want to carry it? Go ahead. Okay. So, from the cemetery, we will now move into the heart of town. Now, did you know that Gettysburg is home to Pennsylvania's oldest hotel? Pennsylvania's Gettysburg Hotel was constructed back in 1797 in the center of what is now called the Lincoln Square. If you haven't had the opportunity to visit Gettysburg or to study the battle in detail, you may not know that the conflict extended beyond the lines of the battlefield as we know it today. In fact, the conflict rolled right through the center of town, subjecting nearly every building to some level of violence and bloodshed. A little bit about the hotel's history. The 9,000-square-foot Gettysburg Hotel started its run as a tavern back in 1797. It was built by James Scott and, in a display of modest self-promotion, 
was called Scott's Tavern. In 1809, it was bought by William McClellan, and he renamed the tavern the Indian Queen. After 1846, the tavern was known by locals as the McClellan House after its owners, the McClellan Brothers. During the battle in 1863, the building bore witness to a lot of bloodshed and tragedy just a short distance from its doors. Abraham Lincoln is even said to have completed the Gettysburg Address right across the street at the, Will uh, at the Will's house. The 1890s brought the hotel a revamp, and the building's new owner named it the Gettysburg Hotel. The name stuck, and the hotel came to be known for its modern conveniences. By the time the 1900s had arrived, the Gettysburg Hotel was ahead of its time with electric lights, hot and cold baths, steam heat, and an excellent restaurant built right in. In 1955, it became a temporary White House to President Eisenhower as he recovered from a heart attack he had suffered while in Gettysburg. The president and his wife were the last guests of the hotel in 1964 before the hotel was closed. The building lay dormant and was unfortunately ravaged by a fire in 1983. It sat long abandoned before restoration and reconstruction in 1991. It now offers guests over 119 rooms to choose from, as well as all of the modern conveniences of a larger hotel with that historic boutique setting. The hotel is listed as one of the historic hotels of America. Now, back to the midst of the battle. Many soldiers who were injured were actually brought to the hotel for medical treatment because, as like many of the buildings of its time, it was used as a makeshift hospital for wounded and dying soldiers. Doctors and nurses cared for thousands of injured men at the hotel, and unfortunately for many of these soldiers, they succumbed to their wounds right within the hotel's walls. Hotel staff and guests alike have reported seeing apparitions of Civil War time soldiers in the hotel's halls, but one of the most well-known ghosts is the spirit of Rachel, a Civil War nurse who cared for the wounded at the Gettysburg Hotel. Guests tell of seeing a slim woman roaming the halls, seemingly searching for someone. She's even known to rummage through and empty your dresser drawers and your luggage. The hotel is not her only stomping ground, as she's also been noticed walking the streets of Gettysburg looking for soldiers to tend to. Two other apparitions are said to haunt the quaint hotel, a woman and a soldier seen dancing hand-in-hand in the hand hotel ballroom. While the identity of the young woman and her beau is unknown, one wonders who these two lovers could be. One guest of the hotel from Connecticut shared her experience from a visit to Gettysburg and a stay at the hotel. She said, my husband was already waiting outside the hotel, but when I went back for my jacket and saw a woman in a long black period dress and her hair pulled up in a bun like she was, uh, like she was mourning, she walked past down the hall, and I thought that there was a historical reenactment about to begin, so I started to follow where she went, but she disappeared. I asked my husband if he saw her, but he didn't see anything. So, if you want another possible long haunted location to stay, you yeah. can go ahead to the Gettysburg Hotel, which adds to the Double Inn, the Inn at Hare Ridge, which we did not mention on this one, where it was just didn't make the cut, if you will, but the Inner Hair Ridge is reportedly very haunted in its own right. Yep, yep. And uh, there's the Tilly, we did say Tilly Pierce House. Tilly Pierce House. Yeah. We did say, which is also right in the middle of town, uh, just down Baltimore Street a little bit. And just outside of town there is the Cash Town Inn, which is also one of the haunted hotels in the area. Yep. So, haunted hotels abound in Gettysburg. In fact, we could do a 
uh, if we hadn't talked about a couple already, we could have done a haunted hotel in Gettysburg episode in the mind. With that said, we're going to move on to a tavern. So we're going to go to the Dobbin House Tavern. Uh, this is one of uh, the oldest buildings in Gettysburg that is still standing. It has made of stone walls, seven fireplaces, hand-carved woodwork, and it is, it is a gorgeous historic architectural uh, building. It was built in 1776 by the Reverend Alexander Dobbin on a 300-acre tract of land. It is two-and-a-half story stone gable roof structure with seven bays across and two bays, or excuse me, two rooms. It is a um, medium pitched roof, that's how they describe it, and it contains two brick chimneys, one at each end of the original structure, uh, which is a touch smaller at five days wide. Now, on the southern end of the original building was a one-and-a-half-story kitchen. It was built uh, with the original house, but was later expanded and incorporated into the larger structure. The current Dobbin House structure contains 11 rooms, and one small room accessible by a side sliding cupboard, and it also contains the original doors, chair rails, and banisters. It has been beautifully restored and is quite a tourist attraction. The rooms in the inn are designed to fit the year in which it was built. The tavern offers casual and fine dining in two different restaurants and is the delectable food that possibly draws the spirits back to the hallways of this magnificent compound. My friends and I have eaten there since then. What are you thinking, Nina? Up, passed up. Yeah. Now, the Dobbin House is across the street from the National Cemetery, and is like nearly every other building in town, it has served as a hospital during the war for uh, wounded soldiers, both for the North and the South. After the Battle of Gettysburg, with the two armies departing, it continues to serve as a hospital for wounded soldiers. It's listed on the National Register of Historic Places, and it has also served as a stop on the Underground Railroad. During the Civil War, the enslaved people who stopped at the Dobbin House on their way to freedom in Canada generally hid in a small secret hiding places that were located under the floor and also in the walls. Those hiding places to this very day are still in the Dobbin uh, Tavern for guests to see. Legend has it that the ghosts of the runaway slaves haunt the building that the original owner and abolitionist makes periodic appearances as well. So the ghost of Alexander Dobbin, who founded the inn, is seen walking around the house smoking a cigar. Apparitions of those who were trekking through the Underground Railroad have also been seen uh, walking through the house and even in the hiding places. Hey, you're not. Ooh, that was close. That was close, and I just flushed my shirt. Oops. He's going to be tilted forward. I'm going to look for the rest of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Just be careful. I will, I promise. Anyway, so uh, since it has served as a hospital space uh, to many grievously wounded soldiers, it should come as no surprise that many of them are believed to haunt the inn as well. Guests and employees of the inn have spotted mysterious reoccurring blood stains on the floorboards, and guests entering the restaurant have also claimed to see a little girl in one of the upper windows. They also have seen orbs uh, of a blue shade, Phantom footsteps are heard, and a mischievous ghost likes to light the slot irons in the historic fireplace. Hmm? Yeah. Uh, another haunted inn in downtown is actually the Farnsworth House Inn. It's located in the center of town along the uh, Baltimore Street, and uh, it was built around 1811. 
Today is a local tourist attraction that operates both as an inn and as a tourist shop. The land on which the farm Fort House Inn was built um, is actually owned by the previously noted Reverend Alexander Dobbins. He later sold it to John S. McFarlane, uh, recorded as being the home's first resident. He owned the land until his death in 1851. After his passing, the Bank of Gettysburg took ownership of, ownership of the home. From there, it was passed into several owners until finally being sold in 1972 to the Schultz family, who maintain ownership of the building to this day. It is the Schultz family who first reported that paranormal entities inhabit the residence. And as an interesting aside, before the Schultz family brought the farmhouse, uh, Barnsworth House in, <laughs> it was owned by the Black family who ran it under the name the Sleepy Hollow Inn. Hi. Thank you. Yeah. There we go. But, and I just did flush it. Can you just stop? Huh? Can you stop? I'm done. Okay. What did I do? I don't know. Distraction. Sorry, I'm not trying to be distracting. <laughs> Uh, now, they ran under the Sleepy Hollow Inn and the Black Advertiser Inn as using the historical fact that the home had 135 bullet holes riddled into one of its sides as a result of the Battle of Gettysburg. Being present during the Battle of Gettysburg, the Farnsworth House Inn was occupied by Confederate forces who utilized the structure as a makeshift hospital and headquarters, a practice that was common during the war. Many of the surrounding homes and buildings would often become the centers for planning attacks and treating the wounded. During the third day of the Battle of Gettysburg, Union soldiers uh, stormed the Farnsworth Inn, killing many of the Confederate snipers who were positioned within. Those snipers had been stationed there to utilize the towering structure in an attempt to pick off Union soldiers as they crossed the nearby cemetery hill. Now, the Schultz family claims that 16 spirits occupied the residence each one having its own name and personality. The spirits include eight-year-old boy, several soldiers, and a former midwife. Seeing how the residence was indeed used as a hospital during the Battle of Gettysburg, the sight of the midwife and the soldiers is not particularly surprising. With many of the members of the Confederate Army who died in the home, it leaves little doubt as to why so many apparitions of soldiers claim to have been seen. They say that these soldiers continue to patrol the house as if stuck in a continual loop, forever fulfilling their military duties. There have been numerous reports over the years of guests hearing the sound of heavy breathing, along with a strong scent of cigars, or perhaps once smoked by the commanding officer that used the house as a temporary home. A very eerie account, to say the least, is what is most certainly attributed to the ghostly midwife. Guests who stay at the inn experience the sensation of being tucked into bed under the covers. There are several photographs of an entity in a window that people have captured from the street below. These are most common, uh, commonly come from a particular room referred to as Sarah Black's room, named after one of the many family members who previously owned the residence. This room is by large considered the most haunted in the house. One of the more common encounters within the Farnsworth House Inn seems to only be in the dead of night when all is quiet and calm. In the empty attic, the sound of a jaw harp can be heard playing tunes throughout the night. Believed to have been played by a young soldier while on his toes, this 
attend the event is sure to scare the socks out of anyone who might be staying there. Disembodied footsteps are also a common occurrence as if pacing or patrolling up and down the halls. While the fulfilling their daily task, employees have attested to feeling the sensation of being followed around while working. Of course, they had in turn, there's nobody there. These footsteps are said to be quite loud and obvious. Ghastly silhouettes have been seen by many patrons of the inn, including its employees. They say these apparitions are very <clears throat> visible in several rooms and quickly vanishing after making themselves known. One such figure predominantly is seen in the dining room, while others have been seen witnessing sitting on the edge of guest beds and even said that the mattress will sink when they are reportedly sitting. Then there's the cranky kitchen cook, who is described as being an older woman dressed in 19th century clothing, as most often seen roaming about between the hallways, the tavern, and the kitchen. The kitchen is where she has been spotted overlooking the products on shelves as it's deciding what she will fix for dinner. And what appears to be an effort to make her presence known, she will sometimes frequent the restaurant area where she behaves rather rudely to the eatery staff. She has been physical with them, and one waitress claims to have been pulled from behind by her apron strings, nearly causing her to fall backwards. It sounds like this particular entity doesn't take too kindly to cooking that isn't her own. So far, she seems to be uh, the only worldly force at uh, Farnsworth House that possesses a somewhat malevolent nature. There is, however, a more lighted tale to be told out of all the haunted happenings that occur here at the Farnsworth. Years ago, uh, during Halloween, a local radio station was doing a special broadcast from the inn that involved the crew dressing up in blue costumes, and in an interesting twist, they kept referring to the radio host as Captain. Their blue clothing was repeated use of Captain seemed to have stirred up the ghosts in the soldiers, who were seen on that particular evening more so than at any other time. They were all... They were witnessed all over the inn and plunged back into the heat of battle once again. Just Yuna. Yuna being Yuna. Uh, no, I don't see her right now. Okay. Just commenting through her adventure there a moment ago. Ah, uh, yes. The justified lean. Ah, that actually brings us to the end. To the end. So, yeah. Uh, so, that was our last tale for this evening. Um, but the Battle of Gettysburg will continue to echo in American history for a long time to come. And that's probably a pretty drastic understatement. Yeah. Along that, alongside that history, the spirits will linger as well. Amidst the battle, the deaths of so many were too intense, too sudden. Their energy lingers on across the battle, a field of battle and within the walls of the structures that remain. Some psychics have concluded that the lingering soldiers don't know that they're dead. For them, the Battle of Gettysburg goes on in an endless loop. They cannot see the tourists, the historians, the gaping coach loads of visitors. They barely register the ghost hunters. They just see the fighting and the fact that no one can or will heed their shouts. They died not knowing that they're dead and perhaps with one of two big imperatives on their mind, fight on or go home. Gettysburg played witness to one of the most intense and tragic battles in our native nation's history. So it is understandable that Gettysburg ghosts are so common in the same way. So I hope you all enjoyed. Yeah. This one was a fun one. It, it was, yeah. I mean, you know, it's fun is something so 
macabre and tragic and whatnot can be. I, I'm not doing it on purpose. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's fascinating. Fascinating might be the right word. Fascinating episode to, uh, to research and be able to uh, to write up like this and be able to share with you. And, of course, this was just the, you know, the, the tip of the iceberg. We've shared other uh, Gettysburg ghost stories before. There's yeah. still so many that we haven't touched on yet. So there will be more talk of Gettysburg in future episodes. Um, I don't know that we'll necessarily do another dedicated Gettysburg episode, but there are more stories to share. Yeah, there will be more stories to share in the future. So I hope you all enjoyed tonight. Yes. And, uh, yep. Uh, Hope you all get your (laughs) tickets to join us. Awesome couple in Adventure in the Keys. Get your tickets while you last. Thank you. Thank you, Donnie. And, yeah, Donnie is going to be joining us. Yeah. Yep. So we're very, very happy to have you along. And uh, we're very excited. Get your tickets. Yeah. And we look forward to talking with you in the future. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be quite the adventure. I mean, it's a whole, you know, a three-night trip down there. And we're going to have a a couple of uh, paranormal excursions uh, as long as 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 well as some other – you know, adventures along the way. So, yeah, we're uh, we got our, our good uh, our, our got a good start on the itinerary, firming up that second major location, and then we'll have other activities as well. So, hope that you all can uh, can uh, tag along for the trip because it's going to be a lot of fun. And of course, we'll see you in two weeks, and this time we're going to be talking about UFOs. Yeah, we're going completely out the left field with this one. So, but considering they're just about, or they did.
Uh-huh. Vibe Radio Network, you're probably still listening to this. Good night, guys.